Welcome into episode 142 of the Skate Podcast. I'm Bridget Prue with Scott McLaughlin. Brian is working um, at his other job because it's, you know, a Monday morning and he had more important big boy stuff to do, I guess. <laughs> um, and we have two full games to cover. We have the Arizona game and the Vegas game that we'll get into. But Scott, it already feels like that Arizona game was like a week ago. It already feels like it's in the back of your mind because it just was such an enigma, like losing with like 13 seconds left to go. It just feels like a game. You're like, okay, we're tossing that out. Like, just forget about that one. Yeah. Well, the, that game was always like the, the ugly stepchild of this great run that the Bruins have of facing, you know, all these other like Stanley cup contenders. And then it's like, Oh, and there's also a random game in, in Arizona in there. And by the way, it's in a college rink that holds 5,000 people. And you're going to get to hear some of the Arizona broadcasts bleed into Nesson's broadcast. Like, everything about it was just like... And and I, by the way, like I don't think it was Nesson's fault. I think because they, they were... This was the first game in Arizona in like a month. The Coyotes have been on the road because they were doing more renovations and updating and whatever to Mullet Arena. So I think... Uh, Oh, oh yeah, and by the way, it's called Mullet Arena. Yes, <laughs> um, it is. Uh, so I think like this was Nesson was kind of the first one in there, and there's just some sort of audio issue with the, oh, the there studios there or whatever. But... All sorts of audio issues. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it was not not as, good. As a broadcaster, like even doing college stuff, I've never run into as many technical audio issues as they ran into in that arena for whatever reason, like Sophia's mic, like just what, like the audio wasn't on at one point and you could fully clearly hear the other broadcast behind them. And I don't know how close they're together, but like, even when I've been packed in next to other people, you couldn't hear the broadcast, like the the other people broadcasting over us. So uh, it was a whole, it it was all just messed up. Yeah. It it just wasn't a good broadcast. Um, And I felt bad because at some point in time, like, I heard like Brick when I was supposed to hear Sophia like talking to he was talking to the producers and I was like oh my god I I've been on a lot of games but I don't know if I've ever had that many issues happen and you you do feel like it was just out of their control most of it um, and the fact that we we also have colleagues that went um as reporters and they where they were sat they couldn't even see the game like Pluto tweeted out a picture of just being like behind some tall guys and just not being able to see the ice whatsoever. Yeah, it looked like uh it reminded me of um doing covering games up at Alfond Arena uh, mm-hmm. and you're which is means you mean yeah. arena. So like the the broadcast booths at Alfond are f- fine, I believe, but like there's carry there's kind of like a auxiliary press box on the other side of the rink. And when I was a student reporter at BU, like that's where we got sat. And the only reason you were able to see over fans at all is that they put you on a bar stool. So like you're, it's like, you're like at a bar, you know, covering the game, writing your story. But that's what it reminded me of it. That's what it looked like based on the photos that like Fluto and dupes tweeted out. It was like, yeah, it's like you got to stand up and try to, you know, move your head around to see over fans. Um, it sounds Anyways, like so, a disaster so, of, of it. Like we were, we were saying last episode, like, oh, this would have been a great road trip to go on. 
But like I'm imagining us getting all the way to Arizona and me like not being able to see and just being so pissed yeah. off. I would well, have been so pissed. I would have been like, Scott, get on your shoulders. Well, you could have jumped into the, you, if you're that mad, you could have jumped into the fight that took place in the stands because, oh, by the way, that that happened too. there was a big fight between Bruins and Coyotes fans and uh, a security guard ended up leaping over like four rows of people to, to get in the middle of it. So just pure chaos, which I, which I think is what, what you expected from a, a, an NHL game in a college arena. And in uh, just a bizarre game, Bruins totally dominate. They outshoot Arizona 46 to 16 and lose and lose on, on a terrible non-icing call where it clearly should have been icing and the linesman waves it off at literally the last second. Like the puck had already crossed the goal line and then he waves it off, which, which right off the bat, like you're not supposed to do that. And secondly, there was no reason to wave it off. It, it was icing. And like people were saying or like assuming that it was because it went through part of the crease but that's not a rule anymore. It hasn't been a rule in like 20 years. That's what um, that, I think it just was, everyone was, was trying to be like, did he, how could he possibly have like thought that was uh, not icing? Like it has to hit the goalie and it did not hit uh, Swayman at all. But that was the only explanation people could come up with where they're like, is this a rule like that I didn't realize came back? Like I, People were just so confused. They were, had yeah. to look it up. And then when you did look it up, it was like, no, okay, that really just was icing and just an unfortunate thing to happen. And then, like, obviously, Forbert's confused, thinks it's going to be icing, touches the puck, waits a second, all of a sudden turns it over, puck ends up in the back of the net. Um, I mean, good on Arizona for just capitalizing, but the Bruins were all just sitting still because they obviously thought that the play was over. Puck's going on the other end of the ice, um, or and probably that this game's going to overtime. I'm sitting there expecting overtime as well. So um, just bizarre, stupid, and you're almost not even mad. You're like, okay, I was mad for like 10 seconds about how dumb this was. But like at the end of the day, you're like, it kind of kind of adds up for this game. This game was all sorts of weird. And yeah, it was just a mess. Yeah, and you know, I think... Not that like I would blame Swayman for, but he definitely wasn't at his best. Uh, Arizona's goalie Carol Vimelka was; he was really good. Um, so, you know, you, you can kind of just write that one off as long as you bounce back. And the Bruins did Sunday night in Vegas. Um, game tied one one through two periods. You know, another pretty good game between these. Or actually, I would say most of the first period wasn't a very good game. It was kind of a boring first period, but things picked up, got a little bit crispy and you get to the third tied one, one. And just as they've been all season, Bruins really good third period team score twice to, to put the game away. And so you come out of this road trip with two out of three wins. The, the one loss is the one you wouldn't have expected the Arizona no. <laughs> game, but you know, it, I'll come back to something I said the last podcast, which is like, it's just unfortunate that you didn't you didn't get Colorado at anything close to 100 percent and in fact you you know you get them down four of the top five forwards and then you don't get Vegas again second time in a week you don't get them at 100 percent because it's still no Petrangelo Eichel actually came back for a game but then was out again so it seems like you know there's still he's dealing with something that needs to be managed and isn't quite back to 
to playing every night yet. Um, no Shea Theodore as well. So it's like, okay, well, Vegas is down the number one center and their top two defensemen. So you're just not, you know, we made like a lot of this whole stretch for a while about how this was when they were finally going to get tested. And I still think they, they were to an extent, like they got Tampa twice at basically full strength. They got Carolina at close to full strength. Um, you know, Florida, I don't, I'm trying to think, I don't think was really missing any of their stars, but no, Florida uh, right now isn't even in like, not even yeah. in a wild card spot. They're like not even in right. the playoffs as of right now. Yeah. So I, I still think you were tested, but having, you know, four games against Colorado and Vegas and not facing their best lineups in, in any of them is, it's just kind of a bummer. Cause I think, you know, certainly we want to see that in, in the media, but I think, I think fans probably did too. Like, yeah, it's great to keep winning, but you, you want to see the Bruins against the best. Like you, you want to, you know, be able to come away and, and think like, all right, they're, I don't think there's anything fluky about their start anyways. Like, I, you know, I can say that confidently regardless, but um, you would really feel like even better about it. Had you beaten a full strength avalanche or a full strength Vegas. Yeah. If you, if you beat a full strength avalanche team, or, or at least you have like a decent game against them, you're like tr- starting to imagine like what a playoff series would actually look like if that's the, the final. Like you're like, okay, well, now I can kind of see how the Bruins would match up if they go and they do end up meeting at the at the end of everything for the Stanley Cup. I didn't really get a good sense of what that kind of a matchup would look like. Before like before we like kind of throw out like move on past the Arizona game, I just wanted to make one last bring up one last thing about that last 15 seconds of the game and the no icing. And it's something we we were talking about before we started recording which was like, why, why can't you just review that? Like we, we were mentioning that back when this happened to the, it reminded me of back when this happened to the Bruins, when a puck got chipped up into the netting, Rass saw it go into the netting. Everybody saw it go into the netting. Puck comes back down. Nobody blew the whistle. And then the Bruins got scored on. Yeah. 2019 against Columbus. Yeah. yeah, In the playoffs. And, and now you can review that. So why don't they make it more of an overarching rule? I know they made it just about puck out of play, but like it should be a little bit more overarching where you have the ability to challenge something like this, where it's obviously not an icing. They got it wrong. It turns out to be a goal in the back of your net. Like um, maybe just that needs to be a change. I've never seen this play happen before. Maybe it won't happen again. Like, but, it felt like one of those things where, like, why couldn't you just review this? This is an easy review. Yeah, you should be able to because you can challenge, like, other game stoppage issues, too. In addition to puck out of play, you can also look at high stick, puck being played with a high stick, and you can look at hand passes. So, yeah, you should be able to review um, icing or no icing if it leads directly to a goal, which in this case... It obviously did. The puck's in the back of the net, you know, what, a second later, a second, second and a half later. I mean, you can um, review offside, which happens like sometimes right. it happens like 20 seconds before the puck's in the back of the net. <laughs> Never mind like this, which was like a two second turnaround. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I'm an advocate for like if you're going to have reviews, then make everything reviewable. Like, you know, 
obviously you don't want a million cha- like challenges a game, but if you're if you're gonna have it and you're gonna allow coaches to challenge stuff, then make it everything. Like I don't understand why why icing wouldn't be part of it. And I get like eventually you could get into gray areas of like, okay, are you also gonna review penalties? You know, was there a hooking before this goal? Like I get that eventually you have to kind of draw a line, but to me, icing is pretty I understand the some you know officiating judgment that goes into it but for the most part it's pretty cut and dried and like this is one yeah, where who, it was who beat the it was clearly like, icing yeah exactly like it's it's not that hard it's not super objective like it's just it's not super subjective i should say um it it's easy to just know uh that that was an icing it was clear as day and then and then so then that happens and you're like well it's over because that's you know 13 seconds left no, you can't review it. Okay, well, well, it's over then. Even though you you look at the shots and you're like, okay, well, 46 to 16, something's a little bit off about the fact that they're about to lose to the Coyotes having outshot them by 30 shots. Um, it was just just a weird one. And I was I was in Connecticut watching it on my phone because I couldn't get the game except for like streaming it. And I was just like in my bed because it was late. By the time this game got over, it was late <laughs> um, because all of their West Coast games. And I'm I'm sitting there watching hockey till like midnight. And I'm just like, I'm really tired. And this was really weird. And I'm just going to go to bed. <laughs> yeah. And another reason why we didn't record right after that one. But I mean, now we're now we're we're past that. Um, there were some changes in the lineup from that game into uh, Sunday's game against Vegas and Krejci was not in Sunday's game. Um, ha- has there been any update on him? Um, so my, Jim Montgomery said before the game Sunday that he's day to day. It's not serious. And their expectation is that he'll be back for Tuesday's game. Uh, not guaranteed yet, but yeah, it sounds like very minor, but he just wasn't, because he got hurt in that Arizona game and, you know, um, came off briefly, but then returned. And obviously he was dealing with something that just didn't quite fully recover in time for Sunday night. Like Montgomery made a reference to, you know, older players tend to need a little bit, a little bit extra time to recover. So, you know, wow. Wow. What a a, dig. A 26 year old probably recovers in, in the two days before Sunday night. And, a 36 year old, you know, you, you need an extra day. So, um, as, as someone my boss in- said that to me, I'd, oh my God, Scott, if you said that, oh man, I'd have to punch you. Well, that's <laughs> like, like, I need like a little extra time to recover between podcasts now. Cause you know, I'm starting, I'm starting to get into my mid thirties. So yeah, yeah it's, I, I understand. So anyway, they, they have to switch things up. They go with Zaka centering, they, they move the perfection line back together. Um, as the first line. And then they throw Zaka in Krejci's spot as the second line center with Hall and DeBrusque. Um, yeah, and that but they didn't I, start that. I think they, they started with yeah, they DeBrusque jumbled it in the up first in the, line. In the second period, it was yeah. all, it was majority of the game, this is what it was like. Um, after the first period, they switched things up to the perfection line and then DeBrusque, Hall, and Zaka. Um, and that line looked really decent. Um, Zaka and DeBrusque actually had had some connections on passes that 
that's the the debrus goal comes off of a Zaka saucer pass that somehow sat at the perfect time for debrus to put in um at the end of the game and so uh they they i thought they looked good together and hall when you put hall on that line as well um he was able to dig some pucks off of the wall and and get get pucks like entered into the zone pretty easily and i just thought they all looked like a very um cohesive line together which i wasn't expecting honestly i was like this is kind of just seems like a jumble of guys that i mean holland debrusque very rarely play on the same line together um zaka is not usually with either of those guys like and and so it's just it was it was like the first time we were seeing something like that and it worked yeah i think they had like a very little bit of time together or at least a little bit of time together um early this season, like in a similar situation where, you know, Krejci missed those few games um, with whatever, you know, core injury or middle body or whatever it was. And uh, I think it was something similar to this where like they started with Pasenak on that line, DeBrusque with the top line, but then like switched at some point. And I think they, like, I think they did pretty well then as well. So I'm sure that was in the back of Montgomery's mind where it was like, well, you know, those three kind of flashed together for that little bit of time that that he put them together before. So I'm sure he wasn't going to hesitate to go to that if he felt the need to. And, um, you know, like like I mentioned earlier, that first period was uh, it was pretty boring to watch and they really weren't generating much in terms of offense from any line. You know, I didn't think I don't necessarily think that like any of the lines were playing terribly but they just weren't doing a whole lot like there just wasn't much happening either way when when you know when anyone was on the ice um so you you try to jump start something and obviously go into the perfection line is, e- is an easy way to do that at least you you expect that one line to to get going offensively but in this case like, like you said the the hall zaki debrusque line uh seemed to spark them as well like they, you know they when those three are, are skating and they're aggressive, like a lot of good things can happen there because I do think they seem to complement each other pretty well. And um, that goal is just a great example. Like it's a great play by Hall to first make the pass to Zaka and then Zaka just to flutter that pass right over. I think, was it Alec Martinez, the defenseman who went, who went down, who was sliding, just kind of sauces the pass right over him. Um, I tweeted this out last night. Zaka leads the team in five on five assists. He now has 12 and um, second place is a tie between Pasenak and Hall with nine. And it's, it's not even like it's close, but it's not that close. It's not like they're like right there with 12. Like they're still three behind. Right. And and it's, you know, it's a credit to Zaka has been such a good fit for this team early on, especially with his versatility. Like, you put him on the third line, he helps there. You put him on the second line, you know, I think he works with Krejci and Pasternak. Center, either wing he's played, like, he just seems to, which is, I think is exactly what they had in mind when they got him, was like, ideally, he's sort of a Swiss Army Knife type player where you can put him anywhere in your top nine and, and he fits and he, and he compliments his line mates, like, He's he's never going to be the star of any line that he's on you know, in in the Bruins top nine, but I think his game like I think he can complement just about anyone, and um, 
and we've seen that whether he's been at wing or at center um you know i think he just had like if he, he just has like a high hockey hockey iq he just makes smart plays and yeah he's never know, like not, the one that you're like oh that was a really horrible turnover by pavel zaka and now it's coming back the other way yeah i think like he had a couple mistakes especially early in the season there were a couple times where i was like yeah. ah, he, you know whatever whether it was you know a breakout pass or just being in the wrong position um but yeah for the most part he's he's been pretty clean and it's you know talk about like swapping him for eric Halla and it's you know i don't want to like bash Halla because he had pretty solid season last year all things considered but Halla was successful when he was playing between hall and pasternak and but when you moved him around when he was you know, on the third or fourth line earlier in the year, or when he was on the wing, he wasn't as successful. Like he didn't, I think they had wanted Halla to be one of those like Swiss army knife type players. And, and he really wasn't like, he kind of needed to be one specific spot to succeed. And that was centering two very talented wingers. Whereas Zaka seems much like a much better fit to just compliment whoever he plays with to kind of move wherever. And, yeah, like I'm sure he would like to be settled into one spot. And, you know, it seemed like he had that going with Krejci and Pasenak for a little bit where it was a little bit of a longer run playing with those guys. And, you know, um, they'll probably go back to that once Krejci's back, which could be as early as Tuesday. So that continuity is good for him, but it's it's a luxury for Jim Montgomery to have to – to know that basically wherever he needs to plug a hole, he can put Zach in there. Yeah, and, and the stat that you tweeted out about the the most assists, the 12 assists, five on five, shows you that when he is actually on the ice, because he doesn't get – he's on the second power play unit, but, like, if you think about the way that that, that unit gets less time and, and a lot of the time when – people when when the puck's getting distributed it's really like you know taylor hall who's shooting on that line or um Krejci or whomever when we're talking about the second second power play unit so he doesn't have many stats on the power play but he when he's out there five on five he's making a difference and that's really like when he's getting a majority of his playing time anyway so um that's i'm it's an interesting stat. I didn't realize, um, but it's, it helps like kind of demonstrate that fact that when he's out there five on five, he's um, been able to impact the game, even though he's kind of one of those guys, you go through the game, you're like, Oh, I remember like three plays from him. Like sometimes you don't really remember all that much that he did Um, to your point about him having a high hockey IQ. He's, he's a good 200 foot player. And, and when we first talked to him, when he was first added, Scott, you were, you were out in the UK. Um, so I was on all those press conferences and he, someone asked him like, Oh, whose game, like, do you compare yourself to, or like, who did you grow up, um, you know, trying to emulate? And he said, Patrice Bergeron. And the funny thing is that like Patrice Bergeron and David Krejci were the players that he was looking to like model his game after. And then you see like the 200 foot player. And sometimes he makes those passes that you're like okay Krejci makes a pass like that every once in a while um so you kind of get that combo of of guys in him obviously he's no Bergeron and no Krejci but he kind of has a little bit of those styles of play um to him he's also he can be a dangerous shooter has a good shot but um he doesn't seem to use it as much um and 
I, I was mentioning this to my dad yesterday, which was, well, during the game, which was that when you see him have games like he had against Vegas and when you, when you kind of put the stats together and you see what kind of a season he's having, you remember like, oh yeah, this guy's going to be a free agent at the end of the year. And this is his trial run. And this is like him proving like, okay, well, I could do this for you down the road. Like when, if Bergeron retires, I could play center. If Krejci retires, I, I could play, you know, I could play where Krejci plays and, and it's not going to be that, that huge drop off to the point where you're like, okay, we got to rebuild. Like he could provide some sort of a bridge if they're in, in, interested in extending him. Um, and also if he doesn't want to go to free agency and see who else wants him. So um, it's just another interesting like wrinkle in the conversation about him is like, you could see how he would fit into your long-term plans and help you not have to be a team that went full rebuild. If you just wanted to, get him in there, see how he looked at center. Cause you already have him in your system, but you still only have him on this one year deal. Yeah. Like, you know, I don't think anyone would expect him to be the future number one center, but you know, assuming you keep Pasternak and, you know, Marshan, DeBrusque Hall, they're all still going to be around. Like, can he be the number two? But I mean, certainly looks capable of it. Like we, whether it's been with Hall and Pasenak or with Hall and DeBrusque, like he's looked good playing in that second line center role. So yeah, you could definitely see that. And, you know, you can see a situation where you plug him in there and it's like, okay, that's at least one of those top two center spots um, where you at least feel comfortable and it's, and see what he does with it. You know, maybe, maybe ultimately he's not quite up to it or maybe he runs with it and, and kind of has the breakout that I know devils fans are waiting for. Um, and maybe he's, he's, he, to your point, is a longer term fit there. Um, that would at least be like one question answered. And then obviously you still have the much harder task of finding your number one center, but Hey, like if, if you need two of them, you'll, You'll start with one and then, you know, then worry about the other one. Uh, when it's still, it already feels like you're in a better situation than you were last season when we're going. I have no idea where they're finding another center. I mean, even last year without Krejci, it was like, okay, our call is probably not your number two center going forward. So, they're if they can sign him, um, which seems to be the plan and is what both Zaka and management said was the plan for him was to come in on a one-year deal and to hopefully get an extension done during the season, which obviously hasn't happened yet. But um, that was, that was what they said was the plan when they, when they added him. Yeah. And, and just a couple of uh, just some, some stats corner stuff on him. So you mentioned, you know, he only has three goals so far. He, he'll start scoring more because looking at it, he's shooting six and a half percent this year and his career shooting percentage is like 10 and a half percent. So more pucks will start to go in for him. But in the meantime, like we said, he's, he's getting the assists. So, so he's still making stuff happen. Um, and then on that line, the Paul Zaka DeBrusque line. So last night against Vegas, they had just about six minutes together. Uh, shot attempts were seven, three Bruins shots and goal four two Bruins. And then the one goal they weren't on the ice for any goals against on the season, very small sample size, but they're up to a little over 11 minutes now. So, you know, there must've been like another basically half game or two periods together early, earlier, 
earlier in the year, like I mentioned. Um, and they've outshot opponents nine to three and outscored them three nothing. So, yeah, like again, very small sample, but there does just seem to be chemistry there. And it's another thing where it's just good for, you know, Jim Montgomery's finding a lot of trios that seem to have some pretty good chemistry. And like that's another one where it's, all right, that's pro- when everyone's healthy, that's not going to be a line for you. But it's just really nice to have that on on the back burner to know that if you have to go to it, you can. <laughs> 